a secret code is uncovered involving gas stations spread across the country? Is it possible that the next time you see a cup floating down a river, you might not want to grab it? And then we take a look at the story of a woman who says that she was put in a mental hospital because she believed in conspiracy theories. But is there more to the story? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so no dilly-dallying, no lollygagging. We're going to get right to it. First off, I got to say thank you to our newest Patreon, Brian Kim. Brian Kim, BK for short, British Knights. Remember those shoes? I don't know if he I don't know if he does. He might be way too young to remember British Knights, but Brian Thank you so much for supporting the show. Really, really helps out a lot. You are going to be our captain this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, you know what I'm going to say. That's okay, too. Just help get the word out about the show. That really, really helps a lot. Hey, Brian, I'm going to flip you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going on a road trip. So let's put in the soundtrack to Britney Spears' Crossroads, the ultimate road trip movie. We're going to drive from Little Hood River. It's getting hot. It's getting hot up here, actually. So good. We're leaving here. And we're just going to keep driving south. Now, this is a story that was recommended to me by Stealthy Steve via Instagram. Really, really appreciate it, Stealthy. He's been sending a lot of stuff lately. He sent me this clip. Now, Brian, let's pull up into this Love's gas station. And we're going to get out. Now, we're going to go in, buy some chips, some beef jerky. Oh, my God. I'm eyeing the nicotine. I'm eyeing the nicotine behind the counter. You guys were like, Mm-mm, don't. I was like, but maybe I can just, maybe I can just try a can and I won't get addicted again. And you're like, Mm-mm. I was like, okay, fine. I guess I'll just have to eat a bunch of beef jerky instead. You're like, Mm-mm, shaking your head. As that, <laughs> as that narrative is going on, as you guys are tisk tisking me for my addictions, let's play a clip from Instagram that Stealthy Steve tagged me on. Let's listen to this clip here for a second. My theory is that there's a secret society and they travel the highways, same paths truckers do, and they use audiobooks to hide secret messages. And you just have to know which audiobook to pick up and listen to to hear the secret message. And they're only available at Love's Truck Stops. Could be a whole child smuggling ring. Or could be something righteous and pure. Some new form of the Crusader Knights or something. Some crazy hedge wizards. Some like eco-terrorist hedge wizards using esoteric spiritualism. So, that guy, this is an interesting one. And Stealthy, thank you so much for letting me know about this. This is an interesting one for me. Because obviously, it sounds insane, right? That the audiobook layout... Or the way that the if you know which rack to look on, like let's say you know the code, so you know the loves, all the loves in Arizona. If you go to the third rack, eighth cassette down for the audiobooks, or hey, that shows my age. They don't put them in cassettes anymore. Third rack, eighth to the side from the left, that CD audiobook that contains a code that either is for satanic groups or Crusader Knights. Or whatever the world... I don't know what these guys are, but I have to look them up. 
eco-terrorist hedge wizards. Now, I know what an eco-terrorist is. I know what a hedge is, and I know what a wizard is, but I've never seen those words in order ever. Eco-terrorist hedge wizards. So, I mean, that's pretty dope. I'm going to see if I can look those guys up. But it could be child smuggling, it could, or it could be a bunch of good guys. Who knows? What's in, So I have mixed feelings about this, because one, that sounds absolutely insane, right? But, but... I'm going to tell you guys, I've talked about stuff like this a couple times on the show, and it's so funny because Stealthy tagged me in this, and then later that day, an episode came out where I was like, this is true, this is true, about another code. I forgot what I was talking about. Here's a tip from an old, salty conspiracy theorist. Predictive programming, Simpsons, predicted 9-11, all this stuff, that's not real. This type of stuff is real. This is 100%. Now, I'm not saying that loves... saying that loves and the audiobook industry are complicit in this i don't know if this example is real but these are how the codes are it's not oh i watched a beyonce video and she held up a triangle and then it cut to an image of like a goat like that's just weird or that's just like seeking extra views like rihanna declaring herself queen of the illuminati and all that stuff this is how these are the real codes and here's the old tip if you know about it, it's probably fake. And and not necessarily you, because I guess you research this stuff, you're like, what? If, mo- if, if it's out there in the ether, if it's out there as a big conspiracy theory, it's fake. It's the stuff that normies, or just even in, even in the conspiracy theory circles, a lot of people don't know about this stuff. Conspiracy theory is overrun by predictive programming, which has never been proven, and it can only be cited as far back, like the people who... who invented it the people or in their words discovered it it only goes back to like they came out they broke out of the illuminati like in the late 90s early 2000s so it's very very recent you can't go back to shows in the 1920s or radio programs in the 1920s or books in the 1920s and see hint after hint after hint involving world war ii or vietnam or the the bilderberg group or any of this stuff it's all super it's it's a false flag the predictive programming is not real this type of stuff is real again i'm not saying that loves that this one is real but this is how you would communicate with other members of your group you go into this establishment and you know which item to order on the menu and the person of that establishment is also part of this network that's 100 percent how they do it. So, as much as this guy sounds like the ramblings of a lunatic, and it very well may be, this a broken clock can be right twice a day, right? But this thing is far more believable than I saw Back to the Future Part 2, and it told me that 9-11 was gone. That's, that's, a, that's a myth. That That is the mental illness. This may be mental illness, but the other one definitely is. I, I think it's an interesting thing, but... Again, most people don't know about it, and even knowing about it, you're never going to be able to know the codes. And the fact that it's real doesn't make it any easier to solve. You'll never solve it without the key. It's like knowing somewhere in your house there's a safe full of a million dollars, but it's hidden. And even when you find it, you can never figure out the combination. That's how these codes work. So, an interesting find. Again, this guy might... He might he might know some eco-terrorist hedge wizards personally and know the code, most likely he's in the going through some something, but that is that is more accurate than predictive programming. So thank you for that. That was a great example of that stealthy. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story. 
Brian, let's go ahead and hop in that carpenter copter. We are headed out to Mexico. We're headed out to a place called Lake Texcoco. Lake Texcoco. Now, there is one episode I have wanted to do since season four. And actually, that's a good reminder. Um, Next week is the last week of season nine, and then I'm going to take a week off. So you're going to get one more week, then I'm going to take a week off. There's been an episode I wanted to do for almost like a year and a half now. And I might do it next season. It kind of has to do with this region. That's a little spoiler alert if you're familiar with the history of Lake Texcoco. But anyways, Lake Texcoco. It's this. It's funny because it's not even a lake anymore. I guess they had to drain it because Mexico City kept getting flooded. But you had this lake and you had all these little rivers. And way, way back in the day. So we're headed back in time. And now we're walking around Mexico. There's a bunch of like Mexican dudes hanging out. And they're like like native Mexican dudes. Like this is before the Spanish showed up and all that stuff. They're like fishing. And like, I, I don't know what they did. Growing crops, which I think is what every human did. We're in Mexico a long time ago. Mexicans are growing crops and fishing and doing stuff. And this one kid is like running off from the farm. And they're like, come back here, Johnny. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to go hang out by myself. And he goes and he plays. Now, Johnny's hanging out by the river and we're hiding in the bushes. This is not going to get creepy. (laughs) The kid's not going to have a good day, but we're not going to do anything. We're hiding in the bushes. We're watching. And this kid's playing by the river and he's like throwing rocks and picking up sticks. And... Then a little chocolate cup goes floating down the river. And he's like, huh? We're going, huh? We're like, what in the world is that? The little chocolate cup is floating down the river. And Johnny's kind of following it along the river bank, and he's watching it kind of bobble down the river. And then it kind of seems to be in a whirlpool. It's kind of just floating there for a second. And Johnny starts to reach in his little hand. Little hand tries to grab the chocolate cup. His foot starts to slip. And oh, oh, an adult showed up and grabbed Johnny by the arm. Johnny, what are you doing? Little Johnny points to the chocolate cup. The adult goes, it would be really creepy if Jason told a story where something happened to you and he realized that halfway through. So you go home, kid. I will take over this narration. Me, this strong man who's lived a good life. And Johnny, Johnny runs home. That's weird. I wonder why he said that. So now, now, because I realized halfway through, I didn't want to finish that story. Chocolate cups in the river. This old man, he's lived a very good life. He's like, mmm, a chocolate cup. He reaches in to get the chocolate cup. It moves just out of range right before he can reach in. And as the old man is drowning in the... Aren't you glad I changed that? As the old man is drowning in the river, every time he goes under, he sees a chilling sight. A chocolate snake spinning faster around him, making the water even harder... To, to swim in because there's a bunch of bubbles and stuff and you can't see where he's going. He's accidentally swimming down and he drowns. So this is the legend of the... I don't know how you pronounce the the letter X. I think it's Z. Z, right? Like zombie. Uh, Zycodal. Zycodal. This is Zycodal. This is... Zycodal literally means in the Aztec language chocolate cup snake. Chocolate cup snake. So I guess I, now that I looked farther in my notes, probably shouldn't have been calling them Mexicans this whole time. These are Aztec people. Chocolate cup snake. Very, very. That's that's a good name. You you know what it is. Like Bigfoot, you know what it is. Chocolate cup snake, you know what it is. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a water-based snake 
little chocolate cup on its back. And it actually, it's interesting because it's one of those things that people believed was an actual creature. It wasn't a water spirit, but it falls into that same category of a lesson. Stay away from, there's so many cryptids that are, stay away from the woods, kids. Stay away from the water, kids. Not, not stay away from the kids in the woods, but telling children, stay away from the woods, stay away from the water, stay away from swamps. Um, don't go out late at night. Don't talk to strangers. So many of these stories are based on lessons to teach kids. Be a good kid or something's going to tear your skin off and make you... What was that one legend? There was that one legend in Germany that if he caught you, he would turn you into a Spanish dude and you'd wake up in Spain. I forgot. It was some like Christmas myth. And kids are like, no, no, I'll be okay. I'll be, I'll be fine. I don't want to go to Spain. So all of these myths, or so many of these myths are based on that. It's really, really interesting to look at. That's where this one comes from. Stay away from the water. But they also believed it was a real thing, and they they would talk about it as if it was a real snake, and the cup on its back would look like a ceremonial vase. And sometimes it would even have designs on it that would look like a real... Someone had made a cup, and it's flowing down the water. Now, I gotta wonder... Were they so in need of cups that they were willing to jump into a lake to grab a cup? Like, that seems like an odd piece of bait. Like, if it was a shiny piece of gold or something like that, or a Nintendo Switch floating down the river, I could totally see that. But, I mean, I'd be like, ah, I got enough cups at home, and I do. I have a whole cabinet. I live by myself, and I have an entire cupboard. I have, like, 30 cups. Ah, Whatever. What's interesting is, like I said, so they ended up draining the lake because Mexico City kept flooding. They they ended up draining the lake uh, because, like I said, Mexico City kept getting flooded. But the legend didn't disappear. Now, obviously, it would be really easy. You're just walking by a dried riverbed and there's just a snake slithering there with a giant cup on his back. The snake has disappeared. Now, it's turned into an evil fairy. Because, again, I, this is one of the things I love about this stuff is the, how the myth evolves, how things change over time. Because they still want the lesson taught. Don't mess with the water, dude. <laughs> Guys, kids, stay out of the water. But now, instead of having this snake with a cup attached to its back, almost like an evolutionary trait, almost like we're being tricked. We're, we're the prey, just like a lanternfish would have that on its head. But now people are like, oh, that's that's impossible, right? And we don't need cups. We can go to the dollar store and get all the cups we want. Now it's an evil fairy. But what's weird is it still involves a chocolate cup floating down the river. Or, or a lake or a bog or anything like that. But, but instead of telling kids there's a giant snake in there, they go, oh, no, no, it's a, it's a fairy. So she can magically make them appear. And then the parent just goes, listen, dude. I'm just going to be honest with you. There is no fairy. There are no chocolate cups. Just stay out of the water, you idiot. Just stay away from the water. Okay? We're done. And then the dad walks away. I'm super disappointed. But as the dad's walking away, he turns and looks at the camera. <laughs> he has snake eyes. He has, a, he has a chocolate cup on his back. He's like, I left that life behind. I gave it up. And I evolved to be a human. Totally indistinguishable from the rest of these homo sapiens, except for the chocolate cup on my back. It's like the size of a 32-ouncer from McDonald's. He's always wearing a cloak. And now, now my own son, my own son's trying to fall in the water, and I, I can't control myself. I want to be a snake so badly. No! Anyways, that's the story of Chocolate Cup Snake. I, I just love that name. I love that it's just that blunt. 
But let's go ahead and move on to our last story. I want you to take that Carpenter Copter up one more time this episode, Ryan. We are headed out to New Zealand. Now, this story happened back in 2006. And it is all from the point of view of one woman. So everything I'm saying is alleged. She's going to be talking about these other people and things that they did and events that happened. We only have her side of the story. And what a story it is. We're headed back to January 20th, 2006. And TVNZ, which is a New Zealand channel, aired a program about Osama bin Laden and George Bush. Specifically about the 9-11 attacks. Now, I've talked about this several times on the show. I used to be a 9-11 truther. I stopped being a 9-11 truther when I realized that the footage that we were being shown was fake. The footage of uh, Tower 7 falling down was doctored. It was edited. And when the people... I understand the government's going to lie to me. I think everyone with half a brain understands their government lies to them. That's just something that happens. Your boss lies to you. Everyone in any position of power is going to lie to you. So when someone goes, they're lying to you, you're like, yeah, duh. And then they start showing you proof of the lie. You're like, whoa. Like, this is bigger than I thought. This goes all the way to the top. But then when I find out the conspiracy theorists are doing the same things that the government's doing, doctoring evidence, lying to me, saying half truth, saying no truth, just lying, then I was like, well, this is this is a lie too. Like, I, I get the government's going to lie to me. And I can factor that in when the government tells me something. I go, eh. But then when someone is on supposedly on my side presenting the truth, when you lie to me, I didn't factor that in. I feel like an even bigger rube. The biggest thing everyone says is investigate Tower 7. I spent a lot of time investigating Tower 7. Found out the footage was doctored. You guys have all seen the footage of Tower 7 collapsing on its footprint. That is not the way that it happened. That footage is, is edited. And we've talked about that on the show before. But I want to say that. I used to be a 9-11 truther, and I was a 9-11 truther for quite a few years, from about 2001 to maybe 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. It was a long time. So, on one hand, I sympathize with the events that this woman's going to go through. Her name is Claire Swinney, but on the other hand, she definitely takes it to the nth level. Uh, TVNZ, I was a truther, but I also didn't really care if anyone else believed it, because I totally understood where how crazy it all was. And I was a truther in the event that there was controlled demolition in the building. That type of guy. I didn't believe in space lasers, and I believe in hologram planes, just stuff like that. Sounds foolish to say now, but I gotta be honest, and I think it gives me a different insight to, to how this all works, rather than just being like, oh, I was too smart to fall for it from the beginning. Kudos to you if you were, but anyways, Claire Swinney watches this program about Osama bin Laden and George Bush and 9-11 and and the official story and all that stuff. She begins to basically write to the news network saying, you guys need to give airtime to the other side. I have this documentary called In Plain Sight. Remember all those? The Road to Tyranny, um, Loose Change. Remember all those? (laughs) Anyways, anyways, it really made YouTube, I think, what it was today was all that stuff. But she was sending out DVDs of this to the network. She was talking to people. She then begins to believe she's being stalked. And I think the actual, more accurate term is gang stalked. Where she believes that government agents are trying to silence her. She's getting vaguely threatening emails. And it culminates in, and that's fine. And it's not not fine she's getting threatening emails. But she's getting emails like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Stuff like that. 
And you're again. This is all from her point of view. And and if it, there's two types of emails you can get, you can get emails like "I told you, you need to shut it," or "I'm going to cut your head off and I'm going to feed it to your dog, and then I'm going to cut your dog's head off and feed it to your cat, and we're going all the way down." That's an outright threat. So I mean, she's not posting stuff like that in her article. She's not saying I was told that I was going to be shot if I continue. It's always these vague threats. It culminates in. And you're thinking, well, Jason, maybe she was getting threatened. It's interesting because from her point of view, this is the most menacing story she has. She was walking down the street one day, and a guy in a business suit walked past her and, like, almost bumped into her. And then was kind of looking over his shoulder at her and then got to a stoplight before she did, and he clenched and unclenched his hand four times and then walked across the street. So that is the level of the threats that are coming to her. I.e., she's over-analyzing, I believe, what the actual threat to her is. She believes it's a New Zealand group called the SIS, which is like their version of the CIA or something like that. But I'll push back on that for a second. There are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of conspiracy theorists who believe 9-11 was an inside job or space lasers and stuff like that. Intelligence agencies would be spending all their time investigating everybody if they're investigating her. But anyway, she perceived to be under threat. Whether or not that was true, that's really not what's interesting about this story. I mean, hopefully she wasn't. Hopefully she was. I guess that's. I hopefully. I don't want to say hopefully she wasn't because then that probably means that she was going crazy. But you know what I mean. Hopefully it, she was blowing stuff out of proportion. Anyways, she tell she begins to. Talk to her friends and family about her being stalked. All of her family knows about her thing about 9-11. She would talk about it all the time. And when someone would be like, oh, I don't know about that, she'd give them a DVD. She was one of those. Remember, that was really how these people made their money. Road to Tyranny was Alex Jones and In Plain Sight. They would get you to buy the DVDs in bulk and then hand them out. It's a money-making thing. It's a money-making thing. Anyways, she's handing out these DVDs. She tells a relative, because she's talking about being threatened, I would rather overdose on pills than be shot. Now, the relative is very alarmed by that, because the relative doesn't think she's under any threat. But now she's talking about, oh, I don't, if I, if I think I'm going to get shot, I'll take pills. And the relative's like, but you're not going to get shot, but you think you might get shot. So at any point, so she calls mental health. Now, you could say that you probably shouldn't have, the relative probably regrets it considering what will come, but what we're going to move on to June 6th. So this is a good six months after the program was aired and she began writing these letters and sending these DVDs to the network. June 6th, there's a knock at her door. And, and let me be frank, too. She does not believe in the craziest of the crazy theories with 9-11 either. She doesn't believe in time travel. or no, She might believe in the theory of time travel, but she doesn't believe... 9-11 was a time travel experiment. Holographic planes, space lasers, all that stuff. She believes the the most common one, which is it was an inside job, controlled demolition, all that stuff. So not, it's still nuts, but not super nuts, right? June 6th, knock at her door. She gets picked up by mental health. There are police there, and they said, the police are here in case you run. And she's like, I'm totally fine. And they go... We got a report that you were talking about killing yourself. So let's just come down. We're going to do an interview. We'll tell that you're not suicidal. 
You'll be allowed to go. She brings her roommate with her. Because she's like, can I bring my roommate? Because at least he knows that I'm not suicidal. And they're like, yeah. At the hospital, she goes to Wangari Hospital. She's put in Ward 7, which is a high-risk ward. And there she meets Dr. Zubaran. Now, Dr. Zubaran's a very, very interesting character in this story. And I don't even think that Claire understands how interesting this character is. When this story's over... Let me, let me go ahead and continue this. So she meets Dr. Zubarin, and they're doing an intake test. Her roommate is nowhere to be seen right now. They're just doing an intake test. They're asking her questions. Now, they, one of the questions they ask, are you hopeless about the future? And she says yes, but she clarifies, I'm hopeless about the geopolitical future of a world where the U.S. government could kill 3,000 of its own people and blame it on Osama bin Laden. So she's trying to clear. First off, you should be honest with your healthcare worker. But if you don't want to be honest with your healthcare worker, don't say yes to that, right? Because I understand where she was coming from. She's feeling yes, I am hopeless. But that's not what that question's designed for. That question is designed to tell whether or not you're suicidal, not whether or not you agree with the foreign policies of a country that you don't live in. It'd be like right now. Do you feel hopeless for the future? And you'd be like, well, yeah. You could continue, you know, a lot of people have lost their jobs and I'm concerned about how the economy will grow. doesn't matter. You got that yet. I'm not giving you tips on how to lie to mental health officials. She was like, I'm not suicidal. My roommate doesn't think suicidal. I've never thought I was suicidal. I made this offhand comment. I want to get out of here. She, at a certain point, you just got to shut up, right? But anyways, so he writes down, yeah. She says the the, uh, test is done really quickly. Now she starts to talk about, because she knows why she's in there. She's in there because she's exposing the truth about 9-11. So she begins to talk to Dr. Zabarin about this. And she's like, listen, controlled demolitions, building seven, trillion dollars missing from the treasury the day before when uh, Donald Rumsfeld gave that speech. All this stuff. She's laying all this stuff out. And he's just sitting there writing and taking notes. She brings up the emails that she got, the threatening emails. She's writing this stuff down. The guy clenching his fist four times. Writing this all down. He goes, those letters are totally normal. I don't consider those letters threatening at all. I think you're delusional. I think you that you are delusional and we're going to keep you here for five days. Now she says, no, absolutely not. I have a right to leave. And the doctor's like, you don't. You're delusional. Now, he does not believe that 9-11 is an inside job. He's making that very, very clear. And she's saying, watch this DVD. Here, look at this foot. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not. You're delusional. And he doesn't want to play into her delusions. She's going to stay there for the next five days. Next day, she has her room. She's not specific on this, but somehow she gets she gets a cache of DVDs and printouts. So I'm thinking her roommate brought them to her. She begins to give them. Now she's physically giving this stuff to the doctor. Just look at this form. Look at this article about, you know, the architectural. It's from the engineers and architects. For Just look at this stuff. And the doctor is, you are delusional. 9-11 was not an inside job. It was brought down by airplanes. Those people died. I'm not going to feed into your delusion. In fact, I'm going to up your medication. And the nurses are put in a really weird position. Because according to Claire, the nurses do not believe she should be there. To the point that at one point a nurse goes, this is an interesting statement. The nurse says, the doctors are so used to looking at daisies. That when they see something that's not a daisy, they don't know what to think. But the nurses were saying, we don't think you should be here. 
They are working with people who should be in Ward 7 all the time. They don't think she should be there. They're not commenting on whether or not 9-11 is an inside job, but they definitely don't think she's delusional. To the point where they say, I'm going to give you this pill. If you don't take it, I'm not going to say anything. So you have the nurse, according to her, the nurses believe her. Dr. Zubaran does not. And there's a hearing after the five days, there is a hearing about her being released. And her father is there. And one of the nurses is there on her side to be like, I don't think she's delusional. I think she's totally fine. And on the other side, you have Dr. Zubaran and you have a judge. And the reason why she was put in there in the first place was because she was suicidal. And everyone in that room agreed to the judge. She is not suicidal. Even Dr. Zubaran goes, she's not suicidal. However, she is delusional. She believes that 9-11 was an inside job. And we know as a matter of fact that it was not. The father stands up. I believe 9-11 was an inside job. I don't believe the official story. And I'm not locked up in here. My daughter should not be here. The nurse is probably looking a little embarrassed at this point, but she goes, I'm not going to talk about 9-11, but I do not believe she is delusional. She does not seem to be delusional. The judge extends her stay. The judge also believes she is delusional. Day 11, another nurse comes up to her. At this point, all the nurses think she should be free. Another nurse comes up and says, this is what you need to do. You need to call for a consumer rights advocate. That's the way... We'll have another hearing. It's not just going to be this judge. It's not going to be this type of thing. We're going to get someone to come in. You can present your case. Dr. Zubaran can present the case again. We got to get you out of here. You shouldn't be here. So she does. On day 11, she's been locked up for almost two weeks now. Day 11, she's in there. She walks into the room. Dr. Zubaran walks into the room. The consumer rights advocate is there. They begin talking. And this is where one of the most interesting twists in this story takes place, and it totally goes right over Claire's head. Like, you, I had to do a double take when I read it, and I go, what? So this whole thing has been about, originally it was because she was suicidal. She always saw it as she was a 9-11 truther, and the government was trying to silence her, and that's why she was inside. Which, that logic should have went out of the window. She should have realized that really wasn't true when the nurses were trying to help get her out, if it was this giant conspiracy. The nurses would have just drugged her up. She'd be locked in a loony bin still. But she's sitting in this room with Dr. Zubaran. Consumer rights advocate is there. And she makes her case. And she, again, has these DVDs and these letters and all of this stuff proving that 9-11 was an inside job. Don't believe the official story. Da-da-da-da-da. She's making her argument. And in this moment, and this is really a key moment in this story, she learns for the first time in 11 days Dr. Zubaran was at ground zero. Dr. Zubaran had been visiting New York City on September 11th, 2001. He was there. He watched the towers fall with his own eyes. All the panic, the fear, the death. She could watch video after video online. She could get those DVDs in bulk and put them in and and go through her head, these conspiracies. He was there. That is why he could not believe what she was saying. It was the ultimate disrespect. You know, we all see it on video, but he was there. He watched the towers fall. He smelt the dust and the debris. Everything that, everything that we see, he smelt and felt and heard right there. It would traumatize any human. And then fast forward, 
he's this doctor sitting in his office five years later. And a woman comes in, suicidal. It's normal. It's unfortunate, but it's normal. And he's doing paperwork. He goes to interview her, and she begins to sit right across from him and say to his face, 9-11 was not what we think it was. It was George Bush trying to kill people. And you can almost imagine the pencil scratching across the paper when she first brings that up. Now, she drops that at the very end of her narrative, because this is the end of the story. She finds out that he was at Ground Zero. She totally brushes over it in her story. He's like, oh, I found that out. And he makes his case. He goes, I believe she's delusional. 9-11 was not an inside job. We have all of this stuff. But he's not like bringing up engineering reports and stuff like that. He's just saying she's nuts. It's not true. And the consumer rights advocate sides with Claire. Sides with Claire and says... While we, I, while I personally don't believe that 9-11 was an inside job as well, I don't believe she's delusional. And then Claire passes a DVD over to Dr. Zubaran and asks him to watch it. Asks him to replay footage of an event he was there at. Over and over and over again. She goes, I think this will help you come to terms with this. And he just kind of shakes his head. And she goes, you should watch it. And he goes, I don't think I will. She was allowed to leave the mental health hospital. The 26th of August, she gets a letter from the Northland District Health Board. And they apologize to her for keeping her there. Because what happened was, it's against the law in New Zealand, and in a lot of places, to put people in jail for their political beliefs. Now, of course, the legal system can always find a way to kind of weasel around that, but that is the law. You can't just lock people up because they're one political stripe or another, and that was her argument. I'm I'm a political prisoner. My political belief is that the, the, the Illuminati is trying to take over the world, and they created 9-11 so George Bush could do this, that, or the other thing. Like, that is a political belief, really. I mean, it's not affiliated with any particular party, but she was not considered delusional. The, the hospital actually apologized to her, and she ends the article going, I never got an apology from the doctor. Now, it's funny, because reading the article, I don't think she was delusional. Like I said, I think a lot of people believe this stuff. I don't think she did herself any favors by continuing to mail out DVDs to people. I'd be really shocked how many people's minds she changed by doing that. That seems to be a constant thing. Sharing videos, sharing documents and stuff like that. Eh. If it's if it's word of mouth, maybe. And if it's word of mouth, meaning I'm talking to you as my friend and I say some crazy conspiracy theory, you might be more willing to buy into that. But if you just got crazy conspiracy theories mailed to you, dude, I should start a loot box that's just insane stuff. Like, you pay me $20 a month and I send you a box of the most insane ramblings. I Don't steal my idea. Don't, don't steal that idea. But anyways, while I'm, while I'm formulating that, I don't think she was doing herself any favors by that. She definitely had, was hypervigilant. The guy closing his fist a couple times, you know. Just, but she, but you also have to see the other side. You have to be willing, when you talk about this stuff, to understand the other side. She's constantly trying to get this guy to believe in her conspiracy theory that she's only seen via video. She's trying to get a guy to believe it who was there, who watched the towers fall. 
And that was a rock and a hard place. He was never going to give up his spot. He completely disrespectful to the victims of 9-11 to have these crazy conspiracy theories. While she, on the other hand, has the argument, it's more disrespectful that they died and no one knows why they died or the real reason why they died. So truly a rock and a hard place. That's not the term. Unstoppable force versus an immovable object. The conspiracy theory that she saw on YouTube and watched videos on was real to her. She saw it over and over and over again. But he was there, in the middle of it, not knowing what would happen next. No rewind, no slow motion, no freeze frame, just utter terror. He was never going to agree with her, and she was never going to agree with him. Because their reality was so different. And in the end, she just kind of brushes off the fact that he was there. Her audio-visual reality splayed across the television set was more real to her than what he saw that day. People have saying that we've gotten to a point in society where everyone has their own facts. That's not true. We've gotten to a point in society where everyone has their own reality. And that is far more dangerous. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.